We are going to resume now our exposition of Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. It's been a year since we started this, because we started it in 2010, and now it's 2011. But we're going to pick up where we left off, and that's chapter 11. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to it. And I want you to be looking at your scriptures today, because this is a very controversial passage for many people. A lot, in fact, a lot of people duck this passage. In fact, somebody said, maybe that's why I have this pulled muscle in my back, because I wasn't supposed to preach it. But it's in sequence in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so I want you to turn to that, please, as we go through this. Remember, this is the Word of God. Amen? Amen. It is what? The Word of God. We didn't write this last night or the night before. This is God speaking to us. So please remember that as you read it. And I trust that as we go through this particular uh, issue today, you will hear God speaking to you and not an individual. Now, chapter 11 is the beginning of a segment of a larger section of First Corinthians dealing with problems and disorders in the church. And he's going to be dealing specifically with the problems and disorders in the gathering of the church. And in particular, when they came together to remember the Lord. Now, in keeping with this entire context of the book of Corinthians, Paul is seeking to correct these problems and disorders, not merely acknowledge that they exist. It's very important. In other words, he's not just going to describe what is happening. He's also going to prescribe as to how the disorders could be corrected. That's very important for us to understand. And so he begins with an overall commendation to the Corinthians. And it's important for us to see this because many times when we do not recognize this commendation, we had approached the chapter from a wrong perspective. Verse 2, 1 Corinthians 11. I praise you for remembering me in everything. That's number one. And for holding to the teachings. That's number two. Just as I pass them on to you. This is a very important passage of scripture to give us a tone for the entire chapter. Paul commands the Corinthians for their obedience to his apostolic teaching or doctrine. He commends them. He does this in an overall general way. But as you go to the chapter, you'll see that apparently a few of the people there, members of the church, either opposed or at least questioned a particular traditional teaching he had passed on to them. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. This particular section here. And so he proceeds to explain the true meaning, the essence, and the basis for this particular practice in the church that he had taught them about before, but it appears that they didn't quite understand why they were doing what they were doing. That's a problem with many Christians. They don't know why they believe what they say they believe. And so Paul wants to correct that area of ignorance, unawareness of the reason for this particular uh, practice here. In other words, he explains the doctrine behind the practice. He explains the reason for doing what he told them to do. It's important for us to see that. Because I believe that if it's any time that we as Christians need to know why we believe what we say we believe, it's today. Every major doctrine of the church is being challenged today. Everyone. The Trinity, 
the deity of Christ, the church itself, the existence of the church itself. In fact, the nature of the church has been challenged today. Marriage is being challenged today. The difference between male and female being challenged. And that comes into this teaching, by the way. And you'll see how important it is for us to differentiate between maleness and femaleness, masculinity and femininity, when we come to doing the Lord's work. Because that's what this is about. He begins then in verse 3 to state the divine order of headship. Now this is important. He's setting the stage to explain why a certain practice was being taught to the church by the apostles. And he says in verse 3, Now I want you to know. I want you to realize. Now this implies that he didn't know it. At least, they didn't know it as well as they should know it. It's quite possible, in fact, that he's teaching them this for the first time. I want you to know. I want you to become aware of this teaching. What is it? The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. That's a clear, concise statement of the order of headship as far as God is concerned. These are all inclusive or universal statements of divinely established truths or principles. Now I'm going to go very slow because I want you to see what the word is teaching. These are all inclusive. Universal statements of divinely established truths or principles. This is something God has put in place. It's there. Now in this particular text, man refers to the male species of the human race. And woman refers to the female species of the same race. Now you say, why am I stating that? I can, you'll see as I go along. Later on in the text, man will refer to a husband, and woman will refer to a wife, but not in this verse. This is the way the triune God has created and designed his authoritative structure in the universe when it comes to males and females in their relationship to the triune God. This is an important passage of scripture. We overlook it. Because we think that the most important thing has to do with the head covering. That's the least important thing. The most important thing in this passage is what he's stating right here. What is the relationship of male and female to the triune God? And how is that relationship to be manifested? That is the key issue in this. You must understand that. Very important. This divine arrangement of authority abides and remains true, regardless as to whether we understand it or obey it or not. It is still true. Why? Because it is divine law set up by God. What we do or do not do, what we think or do not think about it, doesn't make one difference. It is still true. Therefore, to disobey this divine principle... This divine law is to automatically expose ourselves to the consequences of disobedience to any law. Likewise, when we obey, we expose ourselves to the consequences of God's blessing for obeying his divine law. So he is going to describe now how this law is to be put into practice in the gathering of the church. And so he goes on to talk about the practical application of this divine order of headship in worship and ministry. Notice what he says in verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head, that is literal head, I'm going to explain that why, is his literal head, 
Every man who prays or prophesies with his literal head covered dishonors his head, Jesus Christ, his spiritual head. He starts with the man. Why? Because that's the order of authority he's already stated. The man. When it comes to his relationship with the woman. He starts with the man. It's amazing how he studied this passage and we never talk about the man. You only talk about the woman. It's amazing. He starts with the man. Paul says the man dishonors or brings his grace to his spiritual head, Jesus Christ. If he prays or prophesies with his physical head covered. Which in context will in turn, now here's the the situation. Dishonor or bring disgrace to his head. Who is who? Jesus Christ. Which will also then bring disgrace to who? Who's the head of Christ? God. You understand the point? So he's not only talking about disgrace to the male man. He's talking about disgrace to the man Christ Jesus. He's talking about disgrace and dishonor to God the Father. That's his concern in this passage. That's his concern. This is what Paul is trying to explain and to protect. The honor and status of the sovereignty of the triune God. This is Paul's concern. He's trying to guard the sovereignty of the triune God. Paul is saying that the way a man dresses while ministering as the gathered church, as the church is gathered, reflects upon the very essence and nature of God. You get this? See, we lose this. The way a man dresses when he is ministering, now that's important. That modifier when he prays or prophesies, that's the time that this principle applies. Not when the person's outside in the foyer, not when he's outside there just talking around. No, no. It's when the church is gathered and he's praying or prophesying. This comes into play. Paul says, the sovereignty of the triune God is at stake. If a man does not dress properly when he prays or prophesies. Now some of you say, boy, dressing? You mean has all that? Yes, sir. God is concerned about the way you dress. The way men dress, the way women dress. And sometimes you read the scriptures, you'll think especially the way women dress. Now notice. Paul says the uncovered head of a man when he's praying or prophesying is a divinely prescribed way of showing his subjection to Christ, whom God the Father has divinely established as his authoritative head. So therefore, if I would put on a hat or not a hat, because he's not talking about hats here. He'll talk about a covering of the head. We'll talk about what that means in a moment. But we don't have the proper, if I come here and cover my head. The scripture says something hanging down from the head. I will be dishonoring God. Now you sit there, you say it doesn't make any difference to me. God is not only talking to you in this passage. He's talking to principalities and powers as well. We're going to see that. And he's concerned about the way we behave. Because the way we behave in the church reflects on him in the heavenlies. And that's what he's concerned about. You see, we're not too concerned about that. We're not too concerned about that. But God is. You can see at the moment. And so to reject or to deny the headship of Christ is to reject and deny the godness and authority of a sovereign God. That's what is at stake. If I were to preach and to teach or to pray to you with a covering on my head, I will be dishonoring God because I will be showing that I am not in subject to him. Subjection to That's what this passage teaches. Whether we like it or not, that's what it teaches. This is a fact. And I'm going to continue to insist. It's a fact. 
Whether it is understood and obeyed or not, it is a fact. It is a spiritual law that remains constant because it is instituted by God, not man. That's why he began with that authoritative hierarchy being explained. And whether or not we know or understand what the head covering is, the truth still remains. We dishonor God when we do it our way and not his way. That's his point. Praying refers to man's public communication with God in a way that edifies the church. Prophesying refers to the man's public communication of God's revealed way, word in a way that edifies the church. We're going to see this when we come to chapter 14. If I pray and it doesn't edify you, that prayer is not honoring to God. In fact, it dishonors him. If I proclaim the word in a way that dishonors God, it doesn't edify you, rather, I dishonor God. The word is to be proclaimed in a way to edify, to build up, to inform, to equip. Not just for fun and jokes. No, no. It's communicating the word in a way that edifies the people of God. It's praying in a way that edifies the people of God. It's important how we do it. That's what he's addressing here. Now, Paul is saying, when a man does these things God's way, without a head covering, he distinguishes himself. Now, this is important. He distinguishes himself as a divinely authoritative, masculine representative of God to his, to his people as arranged by the triune God. Did you get that? When we do it God's way, the male distinguishes himself as a divinely authoritative masculine representation of God to his people as arranged by the divine decree of God. That's the way God has designed it for us to represent his sovereignty over us when we pray or prophesy in the gathering of the church. Now, it's important to note in context that this law, this rule for man to have his head uncovered in the gatherings of the church applies only when he is praying or prophesying. It's not when he's out there building a chicken coop. It's not out there when he's fishing. Fishing. It's when he's praying or prophesying to the people of God who've been gathered for edification. And you're going to see one of the primary reasons for edification rather for gathering together, is the edification of God's people. We're going to see that when we come to chapter 14. Unfortunately, that's one of the things that are missing today, the importance of edifying the people of God when they gather. It seems rather the people of God want to have fun. They want to enjoy. Is there anything wrong with that? No, no, no. Paul says the primary purpose for the gathering together of God's people is edification. And he says, there's a set way that God has set it up because how we do it impacts upon his reputation in the heavenlies. Look at verse 5. And every woman, this is the battleground now, and every woman who prays or prophesies with her physical head uncovered dishonors her spiritual head. That's not Jesus Christ. That's the man. All right? So the man dishonors his spiritual head, Christ, when he prays or prophesies with his head covered. A woman dishonors her spiritual head, the man, when she does not cover her head. You got a picture? She dishonors, she shames her spiritual head. If she prays or prophesies with her literal head uncovered or unveiled in the gathering of the church. Now, that's the text. Is it the text or not? 
All right. Don't go out and say, Pastor Lee, say this. That's what God says. The literal Greek word for uh, covering is something hanging down from the head. It doesn't refer to a little dolly. It doesn't refer to a little, even a little. Most of the women who wear hats in churches don't wear it for this reason. They wear it for fashion. That's why East is such a big thing. You see? But this has to do with doing something specifically to show your submission to the authority of a sovereign God. And that authority in the church is represented by the male. Again, women don't like that, especially in this world. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. That's what the word says. All right? Now, this is a fact whether you do it or not. The truth still remains the truth. The uncovered head of the woman while praying or prophesying dishonors her spiritual head who is the man. I want you to notice something else here. This rule for a woman to have her head covered applies only when she's ministering to the saints by praying or prophesying in the gathering. Only then. But something else. This also implies that the woman has the same right to do these things as the male. Right or wrong? Now let me get a little personal here. Don't none of you all go out here and say, I preach in brethren things. Because the brethren don't believe what I just said. You understand what I'm saying? It implies here that the woman has the same right to pray and to prophesy as the male. If she does it the way God says, right or wrong. Now, of course, there could be some modifications when we get down to chapter 14. We're just looking at chapter 12 now, 11. Now notice, the reason for the dishonor or the shame in this context is seen as, best seen as being related to the woman's failure to properly differentiate her status or role in relationship to the man. In other words, she's confusing the authority of maleness and femaleness in the ministry. God says there has to be a difference in the way you do it. It has to be a difference. A man cannot do it the way a woman does, and a woman cannot do it the way a man does. You've got to do it in a way that differentiates masculinity from femininity, and he's going to tell us why in a moment. As a, as a woman, according to this passage, she is subordinate to the man. Failure to show this in the church while praying or prophesying shames and dishonors the man, both before the congregation and the angels. Look at verse 10. And the angels. Now that's what the word says. Look at it. Don't leave here saying this is what I say. It dishonors. It shames the male. For the congregation who understands the hierarchy of authority. As well as the angels. And we're going to see why it's so important when it comes to the angels. Now, it's important for us here to see that this truth is determined or revealed by God. It does not assume that the Corinthians knew this. This may be the first time the Corinthians were aware of this truth. Remember how it started in verse 2? He says, I want you to know. He is revealing something to them that perhaps they did not know about. Was not revealed before or they didn't properly understand. This is a revelation from God through the Apostle Paul. Remember again, he's teaching them truth for the first time. Notice verse 5. He explains why the shame or dishonor occurs. It is just as though 
a natural head was shaved. Now, this is a tricky one. Does this mean that a woman who shaves her head, now when he shaves, we're talking about a crew cut here. All right? That's what you normally think about. But it doesn't necessarily have to be so. Let me explain that now because it might not. You're going to find that Paul is talking in relative, relative terms. Shortness and longness has to do with um, what distinguishes a man from a woman. And generally speaking, long hair distinguishes a woman from a man. Short hair distinguishes a man from a woman. That's what you can say in a moment. All right? It's not hair that distinguishes a woman from a man in the ministry. It's long hair. You're going to see that in a moment. And so when Paul says shaved hair, you have to say it in relative terms. Anything that is shorter than a man's hair is the eye. You understand what I'm saying? Anything that is shorter than a man's hair. Paul is revealing or informing this fact to the Corinthians. He is not necessarily implying that they already knew it. He's explaining the consequences or result of disobeying a spiritual principle by comparing it to a natural law. And he's revealing it to them perhaps for the first time. It's a shame if you do this. It is a dishonor to the man. It is a dishonor to God. Especially for her to pray or prophesy with her head shaved. Meaning shorter than a man's. You understand what I'm saying? This does not necessarily have to refer to a woman being regarded as a prostitute, as some claim. You read commentaries on this and they always talk about, Paul is saying that because in Corinth, there were prostitutes who had their head shaved and that's how you knew them. There's nowhere that that is being documented to be true. All you see is people quoting another person who quotes another person. There's no original source anywhere that's found this to be true. Nowhere. It was true in other areas, but was it true in Corinth? There's no documented proof of that at all. And there's no indication in Scripture that that's what he's talking about either. It's an imposition that we put there in order for us to say, well, that's not true today. There's no credible evidence that Paul makes any reference to the culture in this passage. No credible, credible reference at all. He gives ten theological reasons why a man should not cover his head and why a woman should. Ten theological reasons. Ten. But yet some people come alone and say, well, that's all culture. That means culture does away with the ten theological reasons, which doesn't make sense. Now, Paul makes it clear that the principle allows for no compromise. Look at verse 6. If a woman does not cover her natural head, she should have her hair cut off. Now verse 10 says the same thing. If it is a grace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved, and it is, is the implication, she should cover her natural head. Now, this is a divinely inspired apostolic appraisal. Regardless of what covering is, what head means, this is true regardless we understand it or not. Whether we obey it or not, it's still true. If a woman prays and prophesies without a head covering, she should just as well shave her head. It has the same effect before God and the angels. That's what he's saying. It has the same effect. Now notice. This is a divinely inspired apostolic appraisal. Here has to mean here. Head means head. All right? This is no symbolic language here. Here is here and head is head. Since it is grace for a woman to have her head shaved, to have all of her hair cut off, then she should wear a head covering while praying or prophesying. Since not to do so would be the same in God's sight as having a head shaved. That's what Paul is saying. Now, 
Let me go a little more in detail here. I'll talk about this more this evening, Lord willing. This verse seems to imply that God regards it as a disgraceful and shameful act for a woman to have her head shaved. But that's not really what is being done here. In other words, for instance, today, that a woman, a person who uh, uh, is suffering with cancer and so on, and they say it's a shame for her not to have it. No, no, not talking about that kind of a thing at all. Paul is trying to put this in perspective as to the importance of a woman's hair being longer than a man's hair. That's his point. All right? And so I see this is what I call a hyperbole of contrast. Do you know what a hyperbole is? What is it? Exaggeration of a truth, right? In other words, you're exaggerating something. That's what I see Paul doing here. In other words, in order to enforce and emphasize his point regarding the significance of the difference of the length of a man and woman's hair, he goes to the extreme. If a woman does not cover her long hair when she is praying or prophesying, then she just as well shave all of it off since it is a long hair that is a glory. Now, ladies, listen carefully. It's not your hair that is your glory, according to the Bible. What is it? It's your long hair that's a glory. Look at the text. It's the long hair that is the glory, not the short hair. All right? And so he's saying that if a woman covers her glory, the long hair, that's when she shows disrespect to her husband as well as to God. We'll explain this in a moment. Now, Paul is using this as an illustration. He's not using this as a basis for the woman's wearing of a head covering, but as an illustration. Notice now verse 7, where he talks about the basis for this particular application. He says, the man is the image and glory of God. Does it say that or not? A man ought to cover his head since he is what? He is the image and glory of God. Listen, listen. This is a divinely inspired truth, regardless as to whether we understand what it means or whether we obey it or whether we like it or we don't like it. God says, He, the man, is the image and glory of God. Does it say that or doesn't it? It says it. The man. A man ought not to cover his head. You mean is it wrong up there? Oh, sir. Right. All right. A man ought to cover his head, not, not to cover his head, since he's the image and glory of God. I did that on purpose to see if you all are watching. Right? <laughs> but does, what does it say? The man is the image and glory of God, right? This is a divinely established truth. Whether we accept it or whether we don't accept it, it is still true as far as God is concerned. The basis for doing so, man not covering his head and a woman covering is a divinely given fact. Its validity does not depend upon whether we believe it or not, or whether we obey it or not, or whether we like it or not. This truth is valid. The man is the image and glory of God. Final word. Now, is this important? Yes. Notice image. The image of God here is best seen as referring to the fact that God's sovereign rulership or authority is mirrored or reflected in man, the male species, rather than the woman, the female species. The man is what if God is like in his authority. Because the image shows what God is like. He's talking about authority. The man is what God is like in his authority in the gathered assembly. That's what was spelled out in verses 2 and 3. Now Paul is explaining how that divine fact is to be practically demonstrated in the ministry of the church. In other words, what is at issue here 
is how male and female are to reflect what God is like in the gathering of the church. And specifically when they are praying and prophesying. When he does that, the male, God is glorified in the midst of his people. Because the purpose for his creative role of the male is being fleshed out in the assembly before the people of God and before the angels. Are you following this? What God is concerned about is this passage, is his glory being manifested in the local church. His glory. That's what is involved, that's what is involved here. And it is the man whom he has chosen to manifest that glory in the church by being a representative of his authority. Glory in this passage result, refers to the result of God's likeness being manifested in a practical, observable way by the man when he does not cover his head while praying or prophesying. He glorifies God when he does that way. When he doesn't, he glorifies himself. In essence then, this text is saying that a man is to show his submission to the headship of Christ and to the Father by not covering his physical head while he ministers by praying or prophesying. No one can successfully deny that this is what the passage is clearly, say, clearly saying. Even if you don't like it, that's what it says. It's true nonetheless. Whether you like it, whether you don't, it's true nonetheless. Alright? Now he goes on. He talks about the woman. Notice what the text says. The woman is what? The glory of man. It doesn't say she's the glory of God. Now remember, the context here is what is being manifested in the gathering of the church. The man represents the glory of God and his authority. And he ministers by praying and prophesying with his head covered, with his, with his head not covered. A woman manifests the glory of man, not of God. In the assembly. Why? Because what God is establishing here is the authority and headship of the man in the assembly. Again, this is a divinely inspired truth, regardless as to whether we understand what it means or whether we want to obey it or not. It is still the truth. The woman is the glory of man. Don't come up and argue and say, well, it doesn't say that she is the image of God. That's right, it doesn't say that. Because he ain't talking about that. Because why? The woman is not the image of God in the assembly. Because the image of God in this context has to do with his authority, what God is like in his sovereignty. The woman does not represent that, the man does. Do you understand? Notice, the emphasis upon the reflection or manifestation of glory, and in particular the glory of God as demonstrated or manifested in his authoritative headship over his people. The headship that was clearly established in verses 2 and 3. The point then that is being made here is that the woman was created to reflect, as man's helpmate, that for which he was specifically designed by God to reflect. What was that? The authority of God. That's why he was created, to reflect the authority of God on earth. Her covered head while ministering to the saints, praying or prophesying, is a symbol of the man's authority over her as a representative of God through Christ. That's how she shows what the man is created to be. That's how she glorifies man. By covering her head when she prays or prophesies. She glorifies Man, what does that mean? She acknowledges that the man is the authoritative head. As set up by God. And so in effect, she glorifies God. And so God is concerned about glory in this passage. 
You see, we don't think about those things too much when we come head covering. We don't, the only thing we think about, you know, you know I gotta cover, use a covering, or I don't have to do that, whatever. No, no, God is talking about glory. Notice carefully that it does not say in this text that the woman is the image of man. Does it say that? It doesn't say that she is the image of man. That's because she is not created or designed by God to reflect his authority as given by God. The reason why a man is said to be an image of God is because he's reflecting his authority. The reason why the woman is said not to be the image of man because she doesn't reflect that. How does she show that she was created to be the glory of man? By covering the natural glory God has given her. Which is what? Her long hair. Not her short hair. Because why? The long hair is a glory. She glorifies the man and the son and the father when she covers that glory. Do you get the picture? Do you get the picture? You see, this isn't just a foolish thing here. Something you get put on the side. I heard a preacher say, you know something? If God wanted us to follow this, he would have made it more easy to understand. Therefore, you could do what you want. Isn't that something? Is this difficult to understand? No. Not if you study the text rather than impose your thinking upon it at the offset. Now, he gives uh, the divine order of creation as applied to the woman now. In verse 8. And the basis for it, if you want, it's a divine, what I call the creation presidents of a man. It says in verse 8, what? For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. This is one of the reasons now he's given for the reason he's just given. This is another undisputed divine fact. The woman had her origin in man. True or false? She was not created from dirt, from dust. She is created from living flesh. She has her origin in man. She was made from bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. That's a historical fact. And Paul says it is because of this fact that the woman is the glory of man and not the man the glory of the woman. Paul says that. You want to accept it? Good. You don't want to accept it? That's up to you. But it's still true, nonetheless. Then, he also says, it's also so because of the divine purpose of the woman. What is the divine purpose of the woman? Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now, that's why I'm going to go to the back way today, because I know the women are going to pile on me on here. Notice this now. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Is that what the Bible says? Is that what your Bible says? Right? Man, Paul says, has priority over the woman. Both because she originated from him and because she was created for him and not vice versa. And so God has given him authority over the woman. An authority that she must acknowledge and symbolize by wearing a head covering when she prays or prophesies. When she doesn't do that, she doesn't acknowledge or recognize the divine hierarchy of authority as set up by God. And therefore, she does not glorify the man, nor does she glorify God, but she glorifies herself. And God says, I'll share, I'll not share my glory with anyone. Now he gives another reason. You see, Paul gives reasons for this. First, it was the presence of the man over the woman, the origin. Then it was the purpose of the woman. Now, it's because of the angels. For this reason, what reason? The source of woman's origin and the purpose of creation. And because of the angels, the woman 
ought to have a sign of authority on her head. You notice that? A sign of authority on her head. Now, in context, that means her head that has long hair on it. Again, this is a divine order, whether we know what because of the angels mean or not. It's still true. It's because of the angels. If the women don't obey it, it's still true. It's because of the angels you should. You say, well, I don't know what it means, so if I don't know what it means, therefore I can do it. You can't argue like that. It's true whether you understand what it means or not. The reason why they are to do it and still are still true and valid, Paul says, is because of these three reasons. There's nothing in this text that says this is a cultural or local custom. Nothing at all. And the reasons given so far, all the reasons given so far, are based on divine truth as revealed by God through the Apostle Paul. All of them. Ten of them. And not one of them has to do with the culture. Now what does it mean when it says because of the angels? Which angels and why? Because you know you get good angels and you get bad angels. Well let me read you some scripture. Paul seems to be teaching that for a woman to pray or prophesy without a head covering and a man to do so with a covering would bring the wisdom of God into dispute and also put in question the sovereignty of God. Listen, first of all, to 1 Corinthians 4. Would you read that passage on the screen? 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9. Notice, we are spectacle, spectacle to whom? Angels and men. And then the next one is, we have become fools. Fools before whom? Angels and men. They become fools, you're going to see in the passage, to make God look wise. But read the other one, Ephesians 3, verse 8. Please read that passage. This is a fantastic passage of scripture. But notice for our benefit here. Verse 10. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. How? Through the church. To the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. The church. The church is the means of showing to the angels Either that God is wise or he's foolish. And whenever, when we come back to our text here in 1 Corinthians 11. Whenever we go contrary to what he is laying down here, we make God look like a fool. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. Read that passage please. Notice the phrase. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles. When we maintain the principles concerning the gathering of the church, the order of the church, here, we glorify the triune God. 
and we demonstrate that what he is doing in the church is based on his manifold wisdom. That's why he says in verse 10, For this reason, the source of a woman's origin and the purpose of creation, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. Notice, it refers to a sign of authority on her physical head. That's the covering, not the woman's long hair. But the covering that covers that long hair. But now whose authority is being referred to here? Whose authority is the head covering a sign of? Is it, the her, is it her authority? Some people teach that it shows her authority to do the praying and prophesying. Some says it shows the head the authority of the man who gave her the authority to do it. Others say it shows the authority of Jesus Christ. This text, though, seems to suggest that this is a symbol of the man's delegated or recognized authority. She does so, in other words, pray or prophesy, with acknowledgement of the fact that she is in submission to the man as the delegated and designed by the triune God. Let me quickly go through this. He goes on now, you know, because when a woman reading this would say, man, you're always picking on us. You say, the man is before us, woman is created for man, and all of those kind of things. But Paul always balanced things out, and that's what he does in verses 11 and 12. He says, man and woman are dependent upon each other. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is the man independent of woman. For a woman came from man in the beginning, so also man is born of woman ever since. Isn't that right? I mean, man only, woman only came from man once. After that, they've been coming from woman, right or wrong. All right. She's trying to balance those. Say, women don't feel too bad. All right. He goes the same thing in verse uh, in verse twelve. Both man and woman have their origin in God. He says. Everything comes from God. Um, everything comes from God. So he balances it out. He talks about something else in verse 13. Where the principle of nature is stated. He says, natural decorum teaches that a woman should be covered while praying. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? So now just... Think about it yourself. Is it a natural thing for a woman to pray to God with her head? Do you think it's right just looking at it from a not even apart from divine revelation? What about general revelation? He say nature teaches that a man says to be shorter than a woman. Look at verse fourteen. Does not the very nature of things teach you? That if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him. Now, I didn't write this. Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? He said, that's natural for you to think. That if a woman has long hair, is a glory. Notice, when it comes to hair, naturally speaking, that is, according to the way God created things to be, a man's shame is a woman's glory. A man's shame, long hair, is a woman's glory. Now notice carefully. It is not a woman's hair that is a glory. It's a long hair. Why? Here's the point. Because it is naturally, by nature, Paul is now... Arguing not from divine revelation, but from creation, natural revelation. Because it is by nature God's creative design that differentiates her from a man. What is it? It's the length of the hair. It is a mark of her femininity. Even as short as a mark of his masculinity. Now you say, boy, that ain't true today. That might not be true to culture, but it's true in the Bible. 
Verse 15. For long hair is given to her. Notice now. A covering. Her long hair. Notice. See what it is? Not a short hair. Her long hair is given to her as a covering. In other words, she's saying, here, the natural is a picture, a symbol of the spiritual. A woman's long hair was designed by God to serve as a natural symbol of a creative secondary position to man. Even as a head covering is to be a spiritual symbol of the same principle while praying or prophesying. Now, again, just because our culture is different today doesn't say this changes. God's word doesn't change. Our culture may change, but not God's word. This still stands. Paul is saying, now, 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 now be honest now. Now be honest. You walking down the street, you see when man come down with long hair. Do you just look at that? I mean, forget. Suppose it's the first time. Because some of us have come so hardened to it now, you know what I'm saying? But suppose it's the first time. You walking down the street and you see a man come down here with hair to the shoulders. What is your reaction? That's what he's talking about. It's just something there that's like, hey, that ain't right. That's all he's saying. That's all he's saying. You say, well, boy, it's short, different today. That's my, that's where sin comes in. Sin doesn't make anything right. Remember that. Paul goes on now. He says that he teaches this truth to all the churches. He says that the unanimity of apostolic teaching that these rules, that prohibit these rules from being followed, and men or women pray or prophesy. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, he's saying that apostolic teaching is the same on this all over. Notice what he says. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice. Now, Paul knew you behaviors were going to be contentious. So you all can be contentious all you like, but we ain't got no other practice in all the churches. He says the same thing. Nor do the churches of God. Nor the church. He says, what I'm teaching you here is what we as apostles teach all over the world where the church exists. These principles still uh, are true. It It doesn't matter if there's a different culture here, a different culture there. The Jews might do this way. The Greeks might do this way. That don't matter. He says, we teach the same thing regardless of what the culture is. We teach the same truth. Now later on, he's going to pick up and he's going to say, that if any of you think that you're spiritual, you'll receive this. If you don't, you're going to be contentious. That's what he teaches, not me. So what I'm saying here is, this teaching has to do with the manifestation of the glory of God when we assemble. He says, here is how God is glorified when a male or a female prays or prophesies. Here's how it is to be done. If you do it that way, God is glorified in the gathering of the assembly. Why do we gather? To glorify God. If we do it contrary to his, we won't. You understand? Some people say, well, Pastor Lee, you believe this. Why, do, why don't you set a rule that the women are supposed to put on the hat? Well, number one, I don't think they're talking about hats. Right? Number two, if you force someone to observe this, the symbol that is represented is destroyed. Because, why? It is submission. Submission is not forced. Submission is something that is what? Voluntarily done. If a woman does it to say, because Pastor Lee says be done, then you're glorifying Pastor Lee. And don't do that, please. Because God says what? I won't share my glory with anyone. So it has to be something that a person does because they are convinced that this is what God wants them to do to glorify him in the gathering of the church. Now we'll talk about this later tonight, Lord willing. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, 
Thank you for your word. Help us by your Holy Spirit to understand it as it was given, so that we might obey it, so that you may be glorified in our midst. And all of God's people said, Amen.